This is Cinema Degeneration. <laughs> no. Why? why? Why is that funny? Look, look. You came to me to find out how guys like Mike and Chucky and Freddie do what they do, not why. Big surprise. This animal has only been dead for a couple of hours. Look, Harry, somebody's playing a very sick game with us, and I want to know who, and I want to know why. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise. It was dead, Harry. Was it a man? No one's gonna help us. Why? Why is it happening to us? Somebody has stolen that boots. Why would anyone steal five pairs of boots? Get off it, DJ. Look. Two months ago, I sent everyone Xerox sheets of what I would supply and what you were to bring. You were to bring extra shoes and your toothbrushes. I supplied everything else. Five doctors on their annual ritual just trying to have a good time. But this is the year they should have stayed at home. Rituals isn't a picnic. You're in for a big surprise. Alrighty, folks. Welcome once again to another Cinema Degeneration Appreciation Month. We have a unique uh, theme this evening, or this for this entire month. We are doing single-serving slashers, slasher movies, killer movies that only had one chapter in them. No, no sequels. No reboots. No remakes. Maybe we'll choose one that has a remake for our finale, but that is yet to be determined. But we want to celebrate the Slashers here for the month of October. And, you know, while we might love uh, Candyman and uh, Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers and all them, but there's enough chapters on them we could delve into a full month on each one of those uh, specific killers alone. We want to shine the spotlight on the lesser-known slashers that uh, maybe, you know, deserve a little love and 
you get a little overlooked from time to time. And for my first guest uh, this evening, uh, we are welcoming from the Synapse Films podcast, Tim O'Sabin. How are we doing? I'm doing great, Cameron. How you doing? I'm doing fantabulous. I got myself a big double mug of coffee here going so I can keep keep uh, keep up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fly to Space Mountain on some caffeine. Yeah, we didn't nice. we, we didn't fight a you know Space Mountain on no pixie dust, did we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or no pixie mm-hmm. sticks. <laughs> right, right, right. But uh, Timo here, uh, you know, he runs this, uh, the Synapse Films podcast, and which I've been a guest on a, a couple of times. I had uh, the the luck to co-host on a uh, episode about popcorn that just went uh, in the ether. It just went live here the day for yesterday or yesterday. Yeah, it's been, I think it actually came out about, I think it was August 4th, or I think it was August 4th, actually, but I didn't start letting people know until afterwards, because I was at a convention with Synapse, so I was a little busy, and kind of let it roll on its own, and then started telling people after I got back, so, but well, very recently here in August. Busy. How dare you get too busy in your <laughs> no, life? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen very often, you know? I try to avoid <laughs> busyness at all costs. Same, same, sir, same. Right. But uh, I'll let you uh, be the one to have the, the the pleasure of introducing the movie we're we're doing. What was the movie that you picked for our, our maiden voyage into single serving slashers? Rituals. From yeah. Well, it depends on where you live and what you know about it. But it was <laughs> shot in '76. It was. It's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, released in 77 in Canada, and then the U.S. in 78, I believe, and then I think it was released again in 83, if I'm not mistaken. I do not actually have that right in front of me, but I think it was 83 under the title The Creeper. Um, I guess to cash in on the fact that since it did come out in 77, it was a little ahead of its time, and I I didn't even realize that um, until we were preparing for this conversation. Uh, how it how it was before a lot of other things that are like it except deliverance it was after that uh but this is a i guess uh i don't know if you were going to do the imdb synopsis or anything but um, yes uh I, I was eventually yes <laughs> all right all right why don't you do that and then we can kind of i guess maybe dig into a little because that's where i was about ready to go with it yeah because it's a very short imdb synopsis and uh, yeah yeah but uh, Rituals, uh, as far as IMDb cons- is concerned, is from 1977, and uh, the IMDb synopsis is as follows. <clears throat> Five doctors on a wilderness outing are stalked by a disfigured, crazed killers. Yeah. And I, f- I feel like that's, like, very tightening it up, but, it, I mean, that's essentially what it's about, but it's a lot deeper than that. I mean, it's uh, it delves deep into, you know... The, the, the minds of these five doctors and how they're right. all very, very different. Right. Well, it, and it's 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 like Deliverance, where it's it's a group of old friends, men, middle aged men, who are going on a yearly, which is the ritual. The ritual is they go out on this on on an excursion, you know, every uh, every year or so. Yeah. And this year they're going to go out and this very similar setup to, to deliverance. And there's a couple of guys more prepared for it. And a couple of guys who are a little less, they're a little more dainty. Let's say they might, yeah. they might not survive as long. A little as bit less. more, uh, citified. 
Yeah, yeah. And so not unlike Deliverance, you have different personalities that are buttoned up against each other, um, all of that. So, but what's interesting is they are all doctors. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk between them about being a doctor. Um, and remember, this is up in Canada, too. So their health system, even in the 70s, is much different than ours. But so in reality, I think the way they, it sounded like they had more medical groups back then, like we have now. Right. And they were, it sounded like a lot of the subplot was they were trying to talk Hal Holbrook into joining with them to get this doctor's office going, you know, or some kind of, some sort of group, medical group going, you know, together. And through those conversations, you can kind of hear there's a lot of, I don't know if it's guilt in Hal Holbrook's voice, but concern for ethics. Yeah, I so think it's make, a good 50-50. It's a little column A, a little column B. Right. So it kind of makes you wonder. They, it kind of makes you wonder how many like screw-ups they may have had or, or mistakes they've made or unethical things they've done. You know, because they all they don't really go into specifics a whole lot. But you yeah, just Mitzi get does a little bit. Uh, Mitzi keeps going on and on about him have, leaving patients as vegetables, as you know, mindless vegetables. Mm-hmm. And I kind of right. think, you know, it never brings up a specific case or specific a patient, but he always keeps harping on that. He's like, you know, especially when we will get into it, you know, but with Martin's character eventually. Right, right. And I hate to make this, I'm going to get this out of the way now because it's not funny. It's not really a joke. But it's ironic how for this movie you do have to have patience to yes <laughs> enjoy it. You can't sit down ready for like a slam bam action movie. This is the kind of movie that it's a Saturday afternoon movie, rainy afternoon yep. movie. You know, it's uh, it's not something that's going to be exhilarating to you. As a matter of fact, it's probably a movie better watched alone. Yeah, um, it's because, it's not a party yeah. movie. It's not something you're going to put on and like when, when there's a group of, of people and like, hey, you want to watch Rituals? Right, and, right. And I'm not saying that as a negative to the film, but there, there's a certain movies you gotta you gotta uh, you gotta read the room and know what you're in for. And right, this movie is a slow builder, but it builds the tension so fucking well. I mean, we'll definitely get into some of the tension building moments. Just right building on the animosity that is like brewing, you know, beneath the skin, beneath the surface with uh, some of these characters because they all obviously have different goals in mind and they have different, uh, how you gonna say, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, a different belief system on how they think, you know, medical, mm-hmm. you know, their, their, their medical practices should be dispersed, right? Right, um. You know, it's it it is a slow build, but the thing is, is that like when the when they show up, they have a, a a small you know charter airplane take them into the Canadian wilderness to start their adventure. And I mean, they and that that is something that's kind of neat. I do believe in the original script; it was supposed to be an airplane. Or I'm sorry, it was it was an airplane. It was supposed to be a train. That took oh. them, and there are trains up in Canada that go through like the, the mountains and stuff. And so they were going to take a train and have the train drop them off. And they thought, well, no, that'd be a lot better if it was a plane because then you really 
you're really out there with nowhere to go, you know, and stuff. So they take that out there. And I thought what was cool was that the, the, the guy that was the, the, the pilot was a bit of a harbinger character, if you will. You yeah, know, he, he was, was the a harbinger of, of doom, for sure. Yeah, he was saying, you know, a lot of people go up there, you know, be careful. You guys are really going on a mic, on a hike, you know, a real, a real tough one, you know. And, and uh, one of the guys in the group was like, it's only like 13 miles. He's like, yeah. 13, what does he say? 13 miles through bear shit, cougar shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stepping on exactly. all Yeah. You know, and it really, really kind of set up the fact that they're going into some, some harsh wilderness. Again, all in deliverance. What I always found fascinating about this movie is the fact that it kind of, when you watch this movie, if you watch it dry, you've never seen it before, if it's been a really long time since you have seen it. Like it was you, for me. Yeah. No, I mean, it was almost 30 years. And that's what you're saying. And I don't, that's not surprising because the movie kind of fell off the map for a while. It was basically only available on bootlegs for decades. And now it's finally being re released again on, on, they're getting better, but we need to have a really nice restoration of this movie. But that's, that's a different conversation. Maybe we'll get back to that in a little bit. But um, it's just, it, 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 you don't know what the hell kind of movie this is or where it's going. You know, what, what is this? Because the group is together. And it appears that what someone stole someone's shoes, you know, somebody like yeah, like their, right their off shoes the bat, missing. yeah, like right off the bat, like the first day into the you know the first day in, into the trip, somebody steals all five pairs of their boots. Exactly right, and so the which one is a guy, weird place to start, you know, when yes. you think about it. But once you get into like who or exactly what is out there with them it becomes perfectly understandable. Right. Well, and as you're watching it, though, they really don't let on that there's anyone else out there with them. And But, but they, they wake up and, where's my boots? Where's my boots? Where's my boots? And there's one guy in the group, and there's two brothers. And the one brother of the group, he's the guy, I think, that set this thing up. He was the guy that told them what to bring. And everything. Yeah, and DJ. Yeah. Yes, and he told them, "Bring your boots, but bring extra shoes." And I, no one did. They just brought their boots, you know. And so he got upset, and he said, "Well, there's a there's a dam, a, a hydro dam, you know, that should be manned a few miles away, which is still very long, a very heck of a trek in the wilderness, when, especially when you don't have shoes. So since they didn't have anything on their feet, they're kind of stuck. It sounds odd, but they're kind of stuck. So." He says, I will go and I will, I will go to this place and I will find help basically and, and you know, and, and bring him back. And, you know, he leaves. So the one guy who's capable basically, or who's prepared to be capable at this juncture out in the woods takes off to go get help and he's gone. He's yeah, gone. He's kind of, he's kind of like, uh, I, I draw a lot of similarities between this and deliverance. Not mm -hmm. a lot, but several. You know, it's I as I was describing it to Patty after I'd watched it because I watched it while she was at work. I described that it's, it's deliverance if it was more of a slasher movie, right? Right. You know, and and DJ is kind of uh, not exactly the alpha male, but he's he's a little bit like like Burt Reynolds' character in Deliverance. He's the one yes. who's a little bit more capable, a little bit more prepared, but he, you know, essentially right after their boots go miss go missing, he goes missing. Right. So yes. it's just like, okay, the guy that you expect to be the alpha male, the, the you know, the, I'm the guy that's going to save your ass. He's just gone. But even beyond that, he's a red herring. 
because yes. if you're watching this movie for the first time, you're like, well, it's just them out there. And they're way, way out there. I mean, they're in deliverance. They're out there, but they're out there in a river that isn't never traveled. It's just it's just a tough one. You know, like people yeah. are out there. There's not very many at all. You know, we're this place like nobody's out there at all. You <laughs> it's know? as so, remote as remote can be. You know, you yes. think about the only more remote you can get is the Antarctic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and anyone's ever been around Canada or know it's big remote <laughs> you know so but so you place you don't you, want to go fucking around and you know because how's the phrase go fuck around and find out right so you if you're watching this for the first time you never see anyone there's no hint they're being stalked basically up until more or less there's hints maybe a little bit but basically when dj leaves you're thinking is did he take their boots the prudent yeah. pointer to play a joke on him and you don't really know, and you don't really know, is he out there for some reason? Because there's you, it starts it, as the this film progresses and things start happening, and they get into more and more peril. There seems to be a reason, a direct reason, why they're being messed with. But how on right. earth would anybody even know who these guys are up there? And that's yeah, really exactly. strange. And well, to, you, to me, is this like the uh, eventually what we'll get into it is they were being spied upon, you know, you know, mm -hmm. the entire time. But you never know. It's not like you see somebody in the bushes and, you know, they move a bush out of the way, you know, like, you know, Jason Voorhees style. And they're just stalking and listening. You're just not like, not until DJ leaves the camp. Yeah. Yeah. Until he so leaves, it could be DJ. Is, yeah, exactly. Because right. after he leaves, he it is definitely it's like a Hitchcock film. It's a red. He's definitely a red herring. Right. And he was kind of fucking with him at the at the, the campfire. Yeah. You know, and, a little and bit he's too. also the one that's trying to draw them all into this this new medical venture. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, you know, how Holbrook is Harry, Lawrence Dane is Mitzi. They're they're also kind of great in the respect of like drawing attention. Mm -hmm. You know, away from DJ, you know, because I think, I mean, uh, the DJ character, I forgot who played him, Gary Renke, I think it was his name. Mm -hmm. But Hal Holbrook is the MVP here. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. A shame that this, you know, performance of his is just, it's so overlooked. And right. I've overlooked it myself, so I'm just as guilty as anybody else, mm -hmm. you know, but it's just like. Yeah, so, yeah, again, uh, kudos to you, Tim, for, for suggesting this one, because when I was even making the list, you know, I had a list of 15, 20 films. This film was not on the list, Dan. It's a shame that, you know, that I didn't have it on the list, so. Right. Well, Hal Holbrook, <laughs> to me, like, I mean, I love Hal Holbrook. Just oh, yeah. love him. I watch him in anything. I watch him read a phone book. I mean, I, I don't thing. care. And the thing is that this is his movie. And there's not a lot of movies that are his movies. He's always like a a, 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 a featured character, a very featured character. Um, or or he'll do like, you know, the the gig that he did in Creepshow. You know, right, where he's right. he's one of the main guys. You know, but it's more of an ensemble type of thing. And this is sort of an ensemble, but this is really his movie. You know, and he's so he's so good in it. You know, and, and I'm going to tell you something. Hal Holbrook, to me, I think when, when I really, I think Creepshow was one of the, I like Creepshow. It's not one of my favorite movies, but he definitely stood out in Creepshow, I think. And also the movie that he really 
he re- I really started appreciating who he was, was the fog. The I fog had a feeling a, that's what you were going to mention. I totally agree with you there. And The Fog is a difficult movie. A lot, a lot of people debate The Fog. Uh, Jerry from Synapse can't stand The Fog. <laughs> Don and Jerry, they don't like The Fog. You know, they're <laughs> like, I, they, Carpenter made Halloween. He follows it up with this thing. What is this? Doesn't make any sense. I'm just like, I'm like, wait a minute. Are we are we horror fans complaining this movie doesn't make sense? Come on, now, you know <laughs> what, but, what horror movie truly makes a hundred percent sense? <laughs> even this one, right? You know, so, yeah. There's some moments in this that don't make any sense, but I'm willing to forgive it for him. Right, right. So, so basically, like him, he's narrating the story almost. If you watch The Fog, it starts off with John Houseman, brilliant opening scene. Yeah, John Houseman narrating the story. So the cool parts of The Fog are basically the beginning with John Houseman giving you the creeps and then having Hal Holbrook discover things, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the church that he was running. And then, and then he starts reading and then he starts narrating. And he, so he basically uncovers the entire whatever plot there is in the fog. I will say it's convoluted, but he pulls it back by sitting at a desk and reading I mean, when yeah. you think about it, that's the whole thing. And he's one of the scariest things in the movie is him reading that story. And then there's some great suspense moments where the ghost pirates are chasing the characters around. I think it's great. But so Hal Holbrook, to me, I don't know. I just I like I like his his character in this movie. He is a he's sort of like the John Boyd character in um, uh, Deliverance. But then once DJ leaves, he kind of is a hybrid between the John Voight and the Burt Reynolds character a little bit because he kind of goes Rambo a little bit. Yeah, when he gets the, he, all the way down to the headband. <laughs> yes, yeah. But then he starts talking about he was in Korea. And so you start realizing he's probably getting some anxieties from that he had during combat. Oh, you yeah. Know, you so can he, definitely tell, especially as the movie goes on, that he's probably, well, not probably, but definitely has a little P, uh, PTSD. Yes. Yeah. And, and of course, when when these situations get strained in these movies, and these stories, the characters start really like becoming hyper, hyper realized versions of themselves, you know, where Hal Holbrook really gets into his character. Lawrence Dane in the film Mitzi, you know, he he kind of gets a little more slimy, <laughs> you know, as it as it goes on. And yeah, um, he gets to he, he, he shows his true colors. He's, he's all about saving his own ass. Right. Right. Um, and he's a great actor too. You know, oh, Lawrence Dane. Dane is great. I love yes. the scanners, mm-hmm. uh, even for a completely different kind of goofy role. But I loved him as the 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 cop and Bride of Chucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and one thing too about this movie that I, I used to talk about on my my old older podcast a lot, which I don't really have an opportunity to opportunity to as much anymore, is that this is another movie that really highlights. The slight yet glaring differences in Canadian and the United States, like the cultures. And like, to me, Canadian movies are very strange. And I think they're strange because they look very familiar, but they really are coming from a different culture. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, And and it's a little disconcerting almost to watch. It it feels like a little bit almost like a detached from... well, at least from our reality, right? You know, you right. know, as as you know, co- air quotes here, Americans. Mm-hmm. Well, and I always think they that they 
it's the reactions to things and the dialogue is just different and the motivations are just different. You know, like if you watch a, a movie like, like that was made in Hollywood or something, we, we kind especially like back then, you can kind of follow along with the motivations of the characters almost as an understood. You know, you understand why this character is doing this because it's what you would do anyway. You watch a Canadian movie and sometimes you're like, well, that's kind of weird. Why did that character say that? Um, another thing I find very strange is that the the relationships between parents and their children are a little more intimate. I don't know yeah. if you've ever noticed that before, but it kind of makes me a little uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, it's up. But I, I, it's just these little things that make it different. And Rituals is very, it's very Canadian. You know, uh, I'll give you a good example in this movie. When they're at the campfire drinking and and they all they all stand up and they all start chanting put them back together again, put them back together again, dancing around the fire like they're Almost natives like a, doing. Yeah, like yeah. ritualistic, uh, no, no, no pun intended, you know. Right, right. Um, but yeah, so I, it, there's really interesting little things. But what's, what's interesting about this movie is that it's like, it's like Deliverance, which is it's clearly inspired by Deliverance. There's no, you can't, there's no way you can get around that. Right, right. But it's but it switches gears, and then it becomes way ahead of its time. In very short period of time, though. It gets, well, another thing that happens in a short period of time, it doesn't take long, long for the group to really start unraveling. Yes. You know, internally, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they go. And even more interesting, it's very, it's not plain to see whether or not anyone is actually, it takes a little while to really believe and be convinced that someone's actually even after them. Yeah, because, I mean, like, when we get into, you know, we'll get into who or what is, you know, after them, you know, but we've already, you know, have uh, let the cat out of the bag that it is not DJ, because he is the red herring, and and, uh, Lawrence Dane is Mitzi. He's thoroughly convinced that it's, that's DJ. Right. I think we definitely right. got to mention that DJ and the Martin character played by Robert Gamble are brothers. Right. So, so right. Martin is definitely convinced, you know, it's, or is not convinced that it's his brother because he knows his brother and he's like, my brother wouldn't do this. But like, you know, in, until it's revealed, you don't really, you, you just don't know. I mean, for that first hour of the movie, at least the first hour, I'm not sure exactly the minute Marco when it hits, when, uh, DJ is uh, his fate is revealed, but <laughs> I would keep using air quotes here that nobody could fucking see. I'm sorry, folks. I keep doing that. <laughs> you know, but it, it's a big revelation when all of a sudden it's just like, oh, oh like that. It, it's obviously not the DJ, right? So right. Who or what the fuck is it? Well, and that's the thing too, because the one thing interesting about it is it sort of peels it back. At the same time, almost, that it's peeled back for the characters. Eventually, you do start seeing someone stalking them. You, you do start seeing point-of-view shots where clearly someone is pushing back a branch, you know, and stuff. Right. But you know, you, you see a, really... a, a figure in, in a, that's cloaked, not, not so much cloaked in darkness, but just uh, in the shadowy shadows, figure. You know, yeah, shadowy, shadowy figure that you never kind of see any facial features or anything. Right. It's just a figure. Right. And, and I, what I like is their arguments... When when they start when they start as, as more stress as they get more stre- more and more stressed out their arguments are sort of 
leading you to these red herrings, you know, where Hal Holbrook is, you know, like Lawrence Dane is saying, whatever that thing is, like it's a monster. And Hal Holbrook is, what do you mean a thing? You know, he's like, we need to stand and fight. He's like, how do you know it isn't 10 people out there? Right, yeah. So there's all these options that, that even if you're not thinking about them, they make sure they plant the seeds in your head. That's a pretty good writing, though, I think, you know, with the, not, not that it's uncommon. It's probably standard, what it should be done. But you can, sometimes in these old horror movies, you appreciate just common sense writing. You know? Yeah, that and, was a note yeah. that I had off right towards the beginning was Ian Sutherland, uh, who wrote the screenplay. Great fucking screenplay. Some great dialogue, some great scenes, and just the use of misdirection it right. is, is so impressive. Again, I'm, right. I, I find it. I find myself disappointed in myself, <laughs> you know, for having not like, you know, given this movie more credit over the years. Well, you know, I think you have to be in a mood to watch. Like we said in the beginning, it's not a fast movie. It's not if, if you're looking for some if you're looking for something, this movie is not going to satisfy you. If if you're looking if, if you're just want to sit back and let a movie tell you a story. You know, or something like that. It, it, it'll be fine if you allow the movie to envelop you. It's it, it'll really suck you in. But if you go into it looking for deliverance, or if you go into it looking for like a you know just before dawn or or a the burning type of, you're just not going to be satisfied. You're going to be tickled, yeah. but you're not going to be totally satisfied. And I think it, I think it bo- not bothered, but I do think it. A younger person watching this movie who's into horror films might be a little confused. It's a curious film. They might be a little confused by it, maybe a little disappointed, or a little just uh, taken off guard. Right, right. And I get, um, you know, and we've already mentioned too. It, it wasn't exactly the easiest film to find. No, you know, no. for a long time. Right, right. Like I said, it's been it's been a big bootleg seller for a long, long time until it started coming out legit again. You know, on well, Blu-ray, really. I don't think it even had a DVD release. If it did, it was real short-lived. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I think it got to be one of those releases that's just like it's going to hit you so hard in the pocketbook. You're just like, nah, I'm not going to drop on that. Right, right. Um, but no, and and so you know, as the film progress, it's almost like to me this movie has kind of like three different parts. And the deliverance part is, um, that's the part that you're like, you, you, you can't help but to keep thinking deliverance. But you know, if you watch like Southern Comfort and other movies like that, they're all in the same genre and with slightly different variations on the setup. Right, right. You know, um, but what, well, I'll give this film is, I think it's three different things. So it starts off with a deliverance thing in the thick wilderness and stuff. Then it's almost surreal. Like they emerge out of this. Well, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but but the so anyway. So the first part with the with the the uh, deliverance and everything. Th- there's things happening to like there's a, a beehive that's like that oh, falls yeah, out of a tree, scene. right? And then the, one of the characters swears that somebody did it, that there was a person, and they're like, "Was it DJ? Was it DJ? I, said, I don't know. It was just a shadow. I couldn't tell, you know." But it's like. Or did it just fall and the person was just thought he saw something? You just don't know. You know, it's like, is the right. person stalking them doing anything but watching them? You just don't know. I mean, you just don't really see a whole lot. Not at, the, not at first, you know. And the so scene then, with, with the beehive, I have to make this comment. Like, I'd be fucked. I'm highly <laughs> allergic to bee stings. Oh, I'd have yeah. been screwed. I'd be screwed. Right. I'd be 
fucked up six ways from Sunday. I'd, I'd have been, that that have been one where I, my character, if I would have been in this situation, would have would have been checked out. Like, yep, that's that's where Cam dies. That's where well, Cam I'm dies. I'm allergic too, but I'm the kind of allergic where if they get me, like my arm blows up and stuff. Like, luckily my throat doesn't that I've ever noticed before. So that's that's the good that's the good news, you know. But I'd still be. It don't matter if that happened to me. I'd be like Jesus running on the water, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like when they when they, they make the run and they start diving on the water, I'd I'd have never dove for water quicker in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would be going so fast there it would be a wake I would be causing in the water. You know, it'd be it'd be out. But uh, but there's a lot of they start. You know, people are falling. They're getting. Oh, there's the they they find a. Uh, like a lifeline across the across a a, uh, a river they're following that they think there's DJs they think is DJ so they think they finally found DJ because basically after DJ leaves shit starts happening so they got to start they got to start heading toward the same dam that they think that somebody would should be manning to get help so when they right, think right. DJ isn't going to come back they start going off on their own and trying to trying to get there themselves because I and don't that, think they even have like a, a a compass no they don't have anything you know, they, they, they don't, don't have, have anything shoes. They don't have yeah. shoes. They don't have a compass. They don't have the, that lifeline at all. I mean, DJ had everything with him. Right. So they finally find that. And that's after a whole lot of just nonsense, you know. And then, uh, you know, they're going across. And there's bear traps, set, you know, down and stuff. And so it's just like, then you start thinking, but it still could have just been there. And did DJ yeah. do it? Did DJ do it? You just, you still don't know. I mean. So it's a bit of an agonizing thing. This movie has an agonizing feeling that uh, the town of Dreaded Sundown has, where it's it's just begging you, it's begging to answer a question it's refusing to answer. Throughout, you know, of course, the town of Dreaded Sundown goes way over the top on that and just leaves you the audiences with no answers because there was no answer to the real story of that. You know, but this one doesn't go that far. But you do start getting frustrated. It's like, what the hell? What is this? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I mean. Know. So, but but what's happening is, for us who are used to the Friday the Thirteenth and the Halloweens and stuff, as a sla- as a supposed slasher film, where's the slasher? Where's the slasher? Yeah, I mean, there's no slashing going on. No one's killing anyone. They're dying. You know what I mean? So it's almost like it, it, there's there's cause and effect, but there's no direct. You know what I'm saying? Like it's very weird and frustrating. There's no um, direct assailant. You know, yes. there's no direct antagonist until you get to that last couple of scenes. Yeah, you're not revealed. One's not revealed to you. Yeah. You know, you 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 just don't know what's happening. So, you know, all this is going on. And, and um, you know, what, the, the one guy, the one guy, he gets, uh, doesn't he, he gets, he, he has his neck broken or something in the water, I think. They're going That's, down the river. Um, Abe. You know, uh, are you talking about Abel that gets tossed over the side when um, the beehive hits, or, or are you talking about? Yeah, I think so because then they lose one of the one of the guys. Like they lose one of their guys, you know. And, yeah, because uh, Hal Holbrook, I think it's Hal Holbrook's character Harry that looks up and thinks, like thinks he sees, but it's shot in such a quick, you know, kind of motion that he sees somebody toss Abel over the side and he gets his neck broke. Mm-hmm. But like, it's like, you know, did he see it? Because like in that quick kind of shadowy shot, we're not so sure that we see it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But then there's another weird, just a weird moment where the one guy looks down and goes, he was, he was such a boob, such a yeah. gentle boob. I'm like, 
Well, that's Martin, and that's, Martin is such a goofy friggin'. He, he starts going full blown wackaloon, just losing his his marbles right off. I mean, the bat, but that also goes into his character being such a hardcore alcoholic, which right, he reveals, right. m- you know, reveals much later on in the movie. You know, to to uh, Harry's character or Hal Holbrook's character, Harry. Right. Right. So I think. I actually kind of, what I did is I kind of went through the movie here and kind of wrote it down. So at the 15-minute mark, you start getting the hint that someone's stalking the group. But you still don't know what's going on. Could it be somebody working with DJ? Could it be, I mean, could it just be nothing? Could it just be a filming technique? Could it be anything? And the one thing is, is that I guess the one thing that that is a little odd is that it's really... The doctors, they keep quarreling. They keep arguing over and over again. And it's sort of like their device for building up the character. Their, their characters, I think. It can, it can become, they fight a lot. Yeah, they fight and bicker a lot. They do. A lot. And, yeah, and it can, that can become a little taxing. You know, the movies, this movie's not perfect by any, I love this movie, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But they're, they can become a little tiresome. Because, you know, they, they, they kind of, they start arguing pretty quickly. But yeah, like again, at one know, point, I literally like t- said about Mitzi's character. I was like, Mitzi, just shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. Well, and then so uh, you know, and then I think what but so it's there isn't a Martin character then who who's, who steps on the on the oh. uh, uh, the bear trap. Oh and so yeah. Now, he, now he's his legs bad, so now they have to start his dragging scream, him along. One of the most blood curdling screams I think ever like committed to, to screen like when he yells you can <laughs> you you feel his pain right right well the acting of this was really good mm-hmm. you know Definitely. i mean if i was acting this movie though i wouldn't want to <laughs> i would really let it go because man i don't want to do too many takes because they were probably super uncomfortable all you have to do is watch all the flies and all the insects flying around these guys during this movie i mean we really sit there, i mean i don't know i watched on blu-ray and the whole time they're swatting away like mosquitoes and biting black flies and stuff. I'm like, Ooh. I'm like, well, oh, the, man, the earlier on in the movie, that's like less than 10 minutes in where they, they got that long shot where they they have to go through some swampy area and mm-hmm. they're falling and it's all done in one take, mm-hmm. you know, and Missy's worried about his watch. And I think it's Martin is worried about his, his camera or, or was it able, I can't remember who had the camera at that point. Right. But, you know, they're just slipping and falling. And it's like, these are real actors, not stuntmen, not no camera tricks, just tracking through the, the swampy area of fucking, <laughs> you know, in a remote area in the middle of fucking Canada. Right, like, right. And and a lot of the, like, the, the stunt-wise, you know, I don't know how many stunt people they had on it, but, like... I, I I know I noticed like how Holbrook's face in a lot of those scenes, you know, when he, him and uh, Mitzi or you know when uh, <clears throat> Lawrence Dane are tracking around. It's the real. It's them. It's not. It's right. not you know stunt stunt people. You know they they put their. It was the seventies. Beautiful, beautiful seventies where they just said fuck it and put our actors in in peril. Right. Right. I will say one thing after watching this: if Hal Holbrook ever wants to take a fight with me, I'm not going to be too worried. <laughs> that fight that him and Lawrence Dane get into is about the most noodly. It looked like Bell Lugosi in the Flying Serpent or something. I mean, it was just like, what on earth is that? You know, it's like, or, or not the flying, but you know what I mean. It looks like it looks like one of those old, like, poverty. I remember there's a poverty row. I can't remember what it was. I thought it was the Flying Serpent or something like that. 
Uh, and it was it was uh, Bela Lugosi, and he gets into a fight with uh, he gets into the he gets into a fight with a cop or something, and they they shoot it. They shoot. And, I mean, you know, a lot of times in those old movies, they just have a couple punches. It's over. These guys roll around to the point where I was getting a little awkward. You know, like watching this, and it was like they were literally... probably looking at the director at some point, but like, when are you going to yell cut? You're going to yell cut soon, <laughs> right. right? Well, and then and then so like th- there's it's a pretty noodly fight. Like these guys look like <laughs> they're in no shape to fight. <laughs> you know, you know, I don't know. It's like they're they're wildly swinging their arms at each other and stuff. But then again, they're like flailing I said, they... like a couple like a like toddlers to be quite yeah, honest. Pretty much, pretty much. So and much respect to both uh, Dane and Holbrook. But yeah, that fight scene was not convincing at all. No, not but at then all. again, maybe maybe it was more realistic than because I don't think they really want to kill each other. They just were trying to like make a point and fight each other, you know. So yeah. But that being said, so all this is going on. So they. They're basically down to three people now, and they're, and they're the Mitzi and, and the Hal Holbrook character. They're carrying Lawrence Dane and, and Hal Holbrook. They're carrying the Martin character now, who's increasingly becoming annoying because a he's heavy, b he's drinking, so he's singing and doing stupid shit. Yeah, and um, he won't shut the fuck up even when they're trying to like drag him up river and then they hit the the one treacherous area. He's just rambling, rambling right. on. And like, right. good lord, dude. Like, these guys are trying to save your life. <laughs> you right, know? right. Shut the fuck well, up. And this is where, to me, so I think that's that's like the first third of the movie. But to me, where this movie is unique and where it finds itself is the most, is very surreal moment where they just emerge out of this wilderness into some, it looks like the Grand Canyon of Quarries or something. It, they are in this desolate landscape. They just emerge out of the woods into, and look, I guess, a giant forest fire cleared a huge swath of the forest eons ago, and it never grew back. But it's like, I can't even explain it. It looks like a Star Wars set. Yeah. Um, well, I, I had read somewhere, I don't remember now if it was IMDb, Wikipedia, or, or maybe it was on a YouTube video because I did a little studying up, that the previous year, that particular stretch of uh of wilderness where they were at had a fire and mm. then like you can you, you can definitely still see where, where you know the area is still like so desolate it looks right. like it, it looks like a fucking war zone well it looks like a desert of rocks like boulders and rocks and yeah like above a tree line you know or something it just it's just weird and they're trying to drag him basically across mountains of gravel and stuff, and I've never seen a landscape quite like that. To be frank with you, you know, yeah, I mean, I've been through I've been through places that have been burned recently and stuff, like in the Rockies. I've never seen nothing like that. And it, to me, is where the movie really starts getting into hard questions. And and they, the, the the characters are like, oh great, we just got out of this. Now we're just <laughs> going across the Sahara of gravel deserts or something. You know, mountainous. And because right, right. they're going toward the, they're still trying to get to this damn hydro dam, um, you know, so, and they're still dragging this guy and they're just losing it. You know, I mean, they, Lawrence Dane doesn't want to carry him anymore, but I don't know. And then they, and then I think one of the first times you really realize there's some, there is somebody definitely messing with them is I, to me is where the movie also gets super creepy is where they just, they find, they find DJ. You yeah. know, uh, um, well, that's when, well, that's when you realize that it's 
it's not their buddy that's just fucking with them or, or, or zeroing in on them. Like when they find DJ at that abandoned dam, I'm like, they think we need also need to be- mention they finally get to the dam and it's abandoned. Yeah. The, well, the, it's the, been destroyed. Yeah. yeah. It's been destroyed. It, the roof is caved in. It's just crumbling brick and rock. But then like, we find out at the within seconds of them finding out that like oh because you see how Holbrook's face, his right. reaction and then like that is just like oh, this is DJ, <laughs> you know, DJ well, and tortured was, and everything. Right, and that was that was one of the moments that I didn't really pick up on when I was younger because this movie can be kind of confusing if you're not really. That's why I say you should watch it by yourself. You really got to pay attention because everything's there for you, but some of the things I think are a little too subtle. And the revelation that they got to the they got to the dam, and the revelation that the dam had been burned and, and everything, I do not think was spelled out enough. And I, I I'm just saying it because I had I got started getting confused. I remember the first time I watched it, like where are they going to? Like I forgot. They didn't talk about a lot, if that makes any sense. You know, like you watch Prophecy, they're trying to get to that ranger station. That's all they talk about. Right. They they only mention it, and then you sort of lose track of what they're doing because so much stuff happens. And you're like, wait, where, where are they going again? Why are they leaving? Yeah, where is that DJ guy? You know, you're like, why did he leave again to get help? Where was he going? You know, like it's it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. They're talking it, a lot, but not about like what they're doing or where they're going. It's just a sure. lot of arguing, you know, back and forth between you know Mitzi and Harry, basically. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So that moment. I didn't understand the first time I saw it. First of all, I saw it on VHS. So when they showed the, the long shot of the of the uh, the dam and then the, the I guess the station or whatever where the, the dam. You know, the guy should be, the people should be like running the dam. You couldn't tell there was anything more than a building and a dam there. You didn't know it was burned out. You couldn't see it. Right. It's too blurry. Right. Like yeah. The picture yeah. wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't sharp enough to notice, to notice the damage. It's a dark building. <laughs> it burned. Yeah, but all, all you can really notice is the hole in the roof. <laughs> That's about like all that was clear, especially right. in the version that I, that I saw. I, 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 I watched it on Prime and, and it's still a, not a very good print. It's not, but it's better than the. I I bought that. I bought that stream. I, I own it. Uh, when I found it, because a it was widescreen. That was the first time I'd ever found rituals in widescreen myself personally. Uh, B it looked a little bit better than like the VHS stuff I'd seen. It was a little bit clearer. Um, now on Blu-ray, it's a lot better, but I don't. I don't think it's. I think they got the stuff from Lawrence Dane himself because he produced the film. It's oh, kind of his know. movie. Hey, I. I did not realize that I didn't pick up on that. Yes, it's basically his movie, and he so and he he said, "Well, he goes since I slept with the producer, I got the one of the best roles in the movie." 
since I am the producer. <laughs> right, you know? right. And uh, he's, he, he did said have that one was... of the two best roles. I mean, I, I still say Hal Holbrook's the MVP here, but Lawrence Dane, I mean, he's a, he, he, he ranks a very, very close second. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's basically said that they didn't even audition anybody. They just, they took the actors they knew, they knew their work. And they said that Hal Holbrook was a, a terrific actor and he was about right in that price range that they were looking to spend. That's why they got him, you know. And, and Lawrence Dane, because you know Hal Holbrook isn't exactly known as a tough guy. You know, he, no, he's a he's no. a smarmy guy sometimes, but not a tough guy, you know. And uh, Lawrence Dane said, you know, actually he uh, he's a he's a, a sailor. You know, he goes out single man, you know, out into the ocean and sails and stuff. So he's very in shape. They said, you know, the guy was really really he's thin and and like lanky, but he's like a Peter Cushing where he's much. Much tougher and in better shape than he kind of appears to be because he's not muscle bound. Wiry, <laughs> lean, very lean, you know. So, um, but anyway, so you know th- that all being said, I think when they're in that weird landscape, that's when to me it starts. It, it's 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 its unique thing, you know. Uh, even that rocky terrain, you mean? Right? Yeah, because yeah. then that's where really you know you know they're at someone's after him because they finally shows people standing on a hillside looking at them. And I think that's also the the best acted scene in the movie when mm-hmm. Hal Holbrook, you know, uh, you know, Lawrence Dane has left them. Is like I'm not carrying him anymore. He's gonna, you know, he's gonna, he's, you know, talking about Martin because now Martin's got brain damage from when they were fighting in the r- river, mm-hmm. you know, and. So now not only does he got a broken leg, but he's got brain damage. He's bleeding from his eyes. He's bleeding from his nose. So he's got internal damage. He's just like, listen, he's going to die. He's he's going to slow us down, going to get us killed. He abandons them. Right. So it's just Hal Holbrook just dragging poor Martin around. And when he gets down to that point where he breaks down and falls down and just like kind of has his moment where he breaks. Right. right. It's, it's almost difficult to watch because right. he's just watching poor Hal Holbrook just you know you know almost like not even talking coherently you know just mumbling yeah. and like in gibberish and before Lawrence Dane you know does eventually show back up but my god man such right. a, a great scene well and it's in that it's in that whole landscape too where where the real horror starts I mean as far as like horror horror like movie horror you know because they find the one guys they wake up and one of the characters heads on a stick Oh, Pretty yeah, th- sure that didn't happen by accident. Then you know, okay, somebody's definitely fucking with us now. And now then you is, realize, well, it ain't DJ, you know. So <laughs> now is that when they find the 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 first X-ray? Because they find X-rays twice. Was that when they found the first X-ray or the second X-ray? Right. That's the uh, that's the other thing too. So they find when they find like the head, and they find, and then they find DJ. Yes, you're right. There are there's like stapled X-rays. From World War II, of basically, this is kind of shoehorned in, okay? Because the original script and story didn't ever reveal who who the killer was. I do remember that. I do remember reading that. Yes. Yes, and so like it it feels shoehorned in, but it it sort of works, and I think it it needed it bad because it's such a I don't call obtuse. It's it's such a it's a sleight of hand movie. You know, you really don't really know what's going on. A lot of misdirection. Yeah, and it's good, but like it's like a like an like it's like an hour and forty five minute uh, magician's trick. You yeah, know? in a way, and you really don't know like 
Why? Why on earth would someone go to all this trouble? You look, you watch Deliverance, you get it. They've been insulted. You know, they've been. It, it is what it is. But this one, you're kind of like, who's out here doing this? I mean, they're and they keep saying throughout the movie, one of us, we're paying, we're all paying for something one of us did. They keep thinking that throughout the whole movie. But then they start finding, they start finding, like you said, they, there, there's like, to like they'll find like the the DJ's almost dead body. And yeah, there is. They realize that whoever, whoever the X-ray is taken of, that that person. Uh, what do they say? Like, uh, what butcher did this? Yeah, so what apparently, butcher did they, this? Yeah, so apparently, World War II, they they saved someone who probably they should have let die, because a person's face was completely like messed up, blown off. They were barely there. I think they were brain damaged. One of those people you out of. Humanity, let the person die. Yeah, sometimes it's just uh, kind of better to let go. I think you mm-hmm. know there might be a controversial way of looking at it, but that's right. the way I look at it. And I also right. think this is something that needs mentioning is you had brought this up before. Uh, it's part of the Canadian kind of thing that was a little different when they're doing the that that dance and they're going put them back together again and put them back together again. I, I think it all. This is my opinion. When it comes back to it, it all comes back to that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, DJ's mocking came back to haunt him. You know, and everybody else was just uh, collateral damage, so right. to speak, from, from the Crowley character. Well, I kind of let that one out of the bag, but <laughs> sure. we're gonna well, we're, I mean, gonna, we're gonna ruin it here eventually, anyway. Yeah, folks. yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely like you definitely get the sense as it goes on. Wait, there really isn't any direct thing going on here. They, that's another red herring. That really, what's happening is it's this person that that doctors scarred for life ruined for life should have let they should have just let him go they didn't he's you know what i mean and and so he realized no this is just that he heard them he heard because the whole movie what are they talking about being doctors it's all they talk about Yes. And the medical practice is like they have go. nothing else going on in their life. Right. So, you know, so, so then you start wondering, okay, well then who, who let the guy, who let these, whoever's out there, who let them on that these people are even there? Was it the pilot? Did they just know? Did someone overhear them when they were like in the beginning in the little diner spot, a little bait spot, you know, shack they were at in the beginning? Yeah. yeah that, that's never scene, answered. Yeah. That's never answered. But what you do know is basically what it seems like, the typical, they invaded someone's space. The irony of the whole thing is that the only thing that this dude hates or whatever is doctors, because doctors ruined him. And what do we have here but a group of doctors joking and yucking it up about patients? Like, <clears throat> you know, they, they do. They kind of make fun of patients and make fun of their screw-ups, and they kind of, like, make light of it. Now, if you think about it, doctors have to do that, because that's got to be the hardest you can't you can't be too emotional, man. I mean, you, you wouldn't make it as a doctor if you were too emotional. You know, you, oh, no, you got to take. No. You if have you were to take too emotionally moment, invested yeah. in it, it, it. You know, you get. I guess you got to have those moments of. Uh, I don't know if levity is the right word, but that's the only thing I could think of to describe it. You know, but, if you didn't, you know. Yeah. You'd go you insane. I'm sure. Right. You got to let off steam. You know. No, and, no wonder why uh, Hal Holbrook's character is so like got so much like ptsd and why uh martin is such an alcoholic you kind of understand it <laughs> yeah you know? right right and i think what what the movie like i think an interesting conversation that's happening during the movie 
And this is why I say you should watch it by yourself. Because things like this, to me, get you wrapped up in it. It's not the horror part. They start talking about things, and all of us, especially as we're, as we're not getting younger, <laughs> we all have a lot of unhappy experiences uh, with health. And yep, yep. we all have stories of uncaring doctors. And it's a I've fine line. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a fine line between a doctor keeping an emotional distance in order to keep his head on his shoulders so he does the right thing and being coming cold. And there's a dance. And I think most doctors fall on either side often in their careers. And it's, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I don't know if I could lose a patient. You know, it's like, I just, I, I can't, it's almost like, you know, trying to, you know, people will, will uh, flippantly talk about cops or something like that. It's like, you ever been a cop? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I mean, no. bitch about doctors. It's like, you ever been a doctor? Did you ever, did someone ever die directly because they were under your care? That has got to weigh on the most filthy drugs of society even. You know what I mean? Like, that is not a good, healthy, mental thing to have happen to anyone. And, it's, and you know, and, and then you I get... I don't know if I could handle it, you know, and, and until you've been in their shoes, nobody knows that they could handle it. No, no. And so then you get... A patient who's been maimed by doctors, who has all these thoughts, that's all he's probably been thinking about for, if it was World War II, you got to figure that was 30 years later. Yeah. So let's say the he's person had, He's was, had 30 years to, to really think about it long and hard. <laughs> right. So let's say he's in his 50s at that point, you know, and he's, he's freaked out. So you get a sense of why they're being stalked. But here's what's interesting. And by the time you get to this point, okay, so... You get to the point where, where, you know, uh, uh, what, 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 I can't remember. Martin. These people, like basically Hal Holbrook, they, they have to put a couple of characters out of their misery. Or at least one. Yeah. You know? And what's interesting is I, I actually... Uh, uh, heard Lawrence Dane say this and and he's right and it's something to think about in this movie so we have a slasher movie now you tell me who the slasher is because Hal Holbrook kills more people in this movie than anybody else yeah 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 he does I actually had a note about that I'm like Hal Holbrook is responsible for more deaths than the killer right so what we have here now we're only up to the part <laughs> we're only up to the, the the desolate landscape part and I see things that are that evolved into even saw because what you're looking at is the person who is causing these deaths isn't killing the characters he's just yeah, laying he's, the traps for them for them to walk into themselves because he knows they're going to do it well doesn't even to. how holbrook say at one point he wants to uh how was he say he he wants to not disfigure us god that's not dehumanized right to demoralize us De demoralize or dehumanize mm -hmm. us because he wants he wants us you know he wanted them to give up on martin he wanted to right. force them to give up on their friend and, and leave him for, for dead right and you know it's like and that's where i think uh you know the harry character and the mitzi character differ yeah. mitzi's ready to do that very thing and, and harry just is like abhorrent at the thought you know of, of doing such a thing but you know right. he, he eventually gets you know, <laughs> he gets pushed into the, that proverbial corner where he has no choice but to. 
Well, and, and, and what you have there is you have the general doctor's dilemma. The two doctors are standing there with a character that is not going to make it. They can't pull him. Do they leave him there to die? Or do they just do it themselves so it's quick and it's over with? How many doctors make that decision every day? Basically pulling the plug. Yeah, you I know, can't imagine this, the, the yeah, mental you, strain that that would put on somebody. It's, it's it's a horrible thought. Right, but when you look at it, it's almost like an allegory for that. It's almost like a metaphor for it. It's like, you know, like, the, and when you look at this movie, there it almost seems as if, it, and I did not look into this, but it almost seems like it was written by someone either married to a doctor or someone who's around, you know, because it's the psychology of the film and what they do throughout the film. And when you start really getting deep into it, you start thinking these doctors are killing people out there, you know, and this guy is just like, he's proving how I don't got to touch nobody. You guys would do it yourselves. Right. That's kind of not totally, you know, as you get through the movie, as, as the movie gets, you know, you get further in, you're like, well, I don't know. But at the same time, there was a head in the stick. Dude didn't kill him. He just pulled his head off after he's dead. He had DJ like kind of uh, positioned up in a chair with like spikes going through his legs with some kind of like some kind of primitive traction. I guess they were putting DJ in. Didn't kill him though. He wasn't dead yet. That was yeah. He was, that was dead. Pretty the, oh, when when they revealed that he is alive because they, they had him chained up, and when yeah. Harry is taking the chains off, and then he moans and kind of moves the horror on both his and. And Missy's face is like, oh shit, like he's still alive. He's not right. dead yet. Like, oh. Barely, but yeah. And that, so that that character wasn't even killed by him. Yeah, and when, like, I, 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 I'm curious what you think about this. Now, okay. Harry commits a, a mercy killing on, on DJ by, by choking him, by strangling him and, and finishing him off because it was apparent that he was not going to live. And instead right. of having, tort- have him, you know, I by his wounds, he, he mercy killed him. Yeah, mercy. Well, yeah. And then moments later, you know, uh, Mitzi's just gone. He decides to, to, to book. We don't even see him leave. He, you know, Harry just turns around and, you know, Mitzi's just gone, abandoned. And he's like, whoop, you know, peace and out. Yeah. And, yep. and then moments later, Harry goes to where they had put uh, Martin inside what was left of uh, the, you know, the, the control center of the dam, you know, under what left what cover was left. And he's right. talking to him. And he's like, I'm going to come back for you. I promise. He's like, you know, I'm not going to leave you here. I swear I'll be back. And then he notices that Martin was already dead. He had passed on. Why do you think he was so quick to put, you know, DJ out of his misery and, and was, and was holding on to Martin for so long, you know, you know, resetting his leg, you know, ch- checking him, you know, to make sure that he still had brain function, you know, when they were, you know, debating whether or not he was brain dead. Like he was willing to hold on so long to Martin, but he was willing to like let go of DJ so quickly. Now, I, I personally think it's just because I think he thought there was something in Martin that was still there that could, could be saved. And he saw that D- DJ was too far along. But I didn't know if you had differencing a uh, difference of opinion on that. Well, I think you're kind of right. I mean, I think that he, I mean, DJ's in pretty bad shape. I mean, he had been been exposed for quite a long time. It looked as if he was put up there for a long time and was getting pecked up by crows or whatever else flew by, you know. Um, So there's that. So I do think he was maybe in 
in Hal Holbrook's mind, he was not not salvageable. You could not save him. But and I don't think they could they couldn't take him anywhere. The two of them couldn't carry two people. So that's one thing. So the to me, the killer forced them into a decision that they didn't want to make either. Like they had to kill somebody or leave somebody one or the other. But the other right, thing right. is, if you kind of like what I was telling telling you about how I I think if you dig deeper, there's a lot of doctor metaphors in this. Is that when you look at it, it's almost as if Martin was Hal Holbrook's patient, and he wasn't going to let he wasn't going to let Martin die, and he kept saying, "Nope, Martin's going to make it. He's going to make it." And it almost became an obsession to keep taking him. Where Lawrence Dane was like, "We can't take him. This is exactly what the killer wants. He wants us to get slowed down by this guy, and he wants us to kill him." Lawrence Dane's actually saying, "Can't you see what's happening?" We're doing what he wants us to do. And Hal Holbrook right. refuses to allow that character, he even says it, to lose his humanity. He refuses to let the killer force him out of his own humanity. He refuses to do it. So in his mind, he was he was staying, you know, I mean, he, the whole time he was, he was doing the same thing. You right. know, he was right. mercy killing because he had to take his patient. And I think it's sort of a... A little bit another metaphor by maybe some doctors get a little obsessed with some of their patients for saving them, you know, and things. And I think he was a little obs- obsessed with that. You know, that's my opinion. That's kind of what I kind of saw throughout that because they were sort of losing their minds. And I do think that really Lawrence Dane didn't. He was pretty much the same guy throughout the whole thing. And it was really Hal Holbrook that started getting more and more pissed off because the more he tried to do the right thing, the more it made Lawrence Dane right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, really, Lawrence, I Lawrence Dane never really covered. Lawrence Dane never really, uh, as Mitzi never covered up who he was. His his uh, emotions just became a little bit more amplified. He was right. he, he was, was always kind of that same person. He was right. Right, and he was correct about what the killer was doing. And I think Hal Holbrook knew that, but he didn't care. He said, "Well, I'm going to walk into his trap, and I'll just have to face him. I guess I don't know. I mean, like, what do we? What do you want me to do? I'm not killing my friends. I'm not doing this. But then again, he does out of mercy, but." So, but the reasoning I still think is because of that is because he was, his goal was to get Martin help. That was his goal. Yep. Let me, let me tell you something here that you might get a little kick up. This is a pretty serious movie. It's pretty intense. Even the conversation we're having is kind of intense, but a little bit of a break for humor, for filmmaking humor here. And I want to see what you thought about this. So you asked me a question. I'm asking you a question. All right. Right on. So gotcha. when, when Hal, when they find when they find their friend's head on a stick up on that mountain, and Hal Holbrook grabs the stick and throws the head off the, off the oh. he first of all he almost falls. Yeah. Second, yeah. second of all, the first thing I did is I looked over at Angie and I said, "I hope they have more heads." <laughs> if that wasn't a good take, then they're screwed. Somebody's going down the hill to get the head. You know? Yeah, they I didn't have like, more than one prop head. They had to get that in one fucking take i kind of thought of that too i'm just like i'm I'm sure whoever you know made that prosthetic head it wasn't cheap especially for the the 70s it definitely wasn't cheap right right Uh, yeah yeah so that the to me that section of the film which is i guess is about 50 minutes in or so maybe i can't really recall you know like a lot of it definitely is them like in the beginning and the the deliverance part but that whole part we're talking about now where they're finding the dead people and they're doing this, that all takes place out in the open, which that's really disconcerting too, because this character is standing up on hillsides and you can see him off in the distance and stuff. 
And now you know it's not DJ. Yep, you know it's yep, not you any know, of that. You know there's somebody else out there. Yeah. And you know, and if I, anything, DJ was not, didn't, wasn't in cahoots with whoever it was. And if, the, if he was, they obviously turned on him. Right, right. So we have all this stuff going on. But then, so, so that to me is unique. It was unique then. And today it's still unique. And it's still, I don't know if it's, it's not terrifying, but it's just kind of gut-wrenching. That whole part is. And plus, it's the same thing. It's like, we're the hell are you like where is this what happened to the wilderness that this doesn't disappear like that i know there was a fire and everything but we're talking about the strange temper of the movie you know that star of the sun starts going this it kind of reminds me of you've seen sorcerer yeah 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 with roy scheider yeah the bizarre part before the end where he's going through that trippy landscape I don't even remember that. Some, a lot of people forget this part, but he basically goes through like this real trippy desert-esque yeah. kind of landscape toward the end. And like the colors are all screwed up and everything. That's what it kind of reminded it's me almost of. Psych- it's like weirdly psychedelic. That part is. So if you take out the psychedelic part that you that was in Sorcerer and you just kind of set it into this movie, it's, it reminds me of the same thing. It was like, wait, what happened to... What happened to the environment that I've been used to this entire movie? Where'd it go? And and it just it th- kind of throws you off balance, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, it totally does. And then of course when when finally Martin perishes, and then and then you know Mitzi's he's disappeared. He's kind of walked off. Yet he still disappeared. I mean, he went out of nowhere. He's gone. Um, yeah, like Harry turned around after like Mercy killing uh, was a DJ, and he's right. just gone. And when and Harry is going around looking for him and calling out for, for him, right? It's right. It's gut wrenching because he's he realizes he's alone, right? You know, right. and it's so hard to watch, right? Well, and then so that's when we get to the 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 end, the very the the finale. You know, this is where there's, and this part was kind of shoehorned in too. Anyone who knows anything about movies realizes immediately that Hal Holbrook. Leaves the leaves the dam, enters the wilderness again. <laughs> I guess there's just a straight line <laughs> of wilderness and bizarre moon, lunar landscape. So he goes back <laughs> into the wilderness, and just off the wilderness, what does he find? Well, cabin of course, in he, the woods, he finds Jason Voorhees's cabin. <laughs> yeah, he finds the Voorhees cabin. Just happened that's, to be in Crystal Lake. Yes, and so that's when. That part to me feels shoehorned in again to answer the questions that the movie wasn't going to answer when it was first written. So it's shoehorned in to me kind of like the the x-rays are because they're trying to start giving clues and then they're going to give you the answer here where that answer wasn't in the original script. But it's also clearly the only part of the film that's part of a shot on a set in that cabin. Yeah, yeah, everything. It was, it was. I mean, besides the 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 opening during the like the bait shop sequence, it was you know, the only place that was indoors. <laughs> right, for right, certain. exactly. Yeah. So he he stumbles upon this cabin, and this is this is where the the third part of the movie. It's so short though, and that's what was frustrating about it, and why I think younger people don't like it, and I think people forget about it, um, because I think they're looking for that last scene throughout the entire movie. I was. Yeah. When I saw the movie for the first time, I wanted to see more of a, you know, a Jason Voorhees, you know, a Cropsey 
type of right, right. You know, thing. And, and it's not that it isn't that. It's just the fact that it's almost the revelation that that is what it is. And and there's, I guess, they find out there's there's two of them out there. Which that that's a cool little twist. And Lawrence Dane kind of, or Hal Holbrook, I guess, kind of. Uh, you know, he kind of foreshadows that a little bit when he says, how do you know it's not 10 people? So apparently there's, there's two brothers and the one brother is blind and he's still got his wits about him. But the other brother was the one who was messed up by, by doctors. And he was trying to get him to stop killing the doctors. Yeah. He even so says a, at one point when he comes in, cause Hal Holbrook, like, doesn't he start munching on some hanging jerky or something that, he that and, comes he, and then in, he finds the boots. Yes, he finds her boots and then realizes, holy shit, I, I am in the it. cabin of the person who's messing with us. And then the mm-hmm. door, and then someone comes in and he thinks that's the person messing with him. He's a big, long, gray bearded, beast looking man comes in. Yeah, pretty big and, dude. Pretty big Yeah, dude. and they start fighting because he hears them. And they start they start fighting immediately. But when he's he's swinging at Hal Holbrook going, no more killing. Stop the killing. You're not killing anymore. And he's hitting Hal Holbrook. And then Hal Holbrook like hits him with an axe or something and takes takes him down and, and then realizes, wait, this guy's blind and realizes this guy thought he was beating the killer because he's blind. He didn't know who it was. He assumed. Yeah. Yeah. Was, he even says he's like, my God, you're blind. Yeah. And since he's blind, that shows you how bad Hal Holbrook smelled. yeah (laughs) thinking he was his brother you know so then he just he does give give away who the killer is basically just a guy that was messed up by doctors a long time ago and he's after revenge on him and the only other clues the the part i thought was heavy-handed was the scrapbook you know it actually says scrapbook on it like who wrote that because the killer didn't have the mental capacity i don't think to write anything and the, the blind brother, the I think his name was Jesse, right? Was the, the yes. character's name was Jesse? That's correct. Yes. And uh, you know, did he couldn't have wrote it unless he went blind after he wrote it? It, it, it was just it just seemed a, a tad bit heavy handed. Well, you know, it, as far as like the story, I agree. But what frustrated me is I couldn't get my eyes on it long enough to really see what it was saying. Yeah, like, the only like, thing I, I made out was was the scrapbook. Part. That was like well, the only it, thing on the cover. Well, that was all I could make out. Well, in the, in the, in, on the Blu-ray, when he opens it up, at least you can see that there is newspaper articles referencing murders and massacres and stuff. So oh, okay, see, there's I didn't references. Catch that in the version I saw. Yes. Yeah, so when when the Jesse character says, "My brother's not like us anymore," you know, if you remember that, he goes, "He ain't like us anymore." I actually had to subtitle that to listen to what he was saying, what Jesse was saying. I didn't understand what he was saying, so I subtitled it, and he said, he's not like us anymore. You know, he's gone. He's crazy, and you guys need to get out of here because he's dangerous, and you won't stop him. You know, that's what he's yeah, saying. He's like, he even says, I can't stop him. Right, right. He's oh. I tried. I tried to stop him. I'm sorry. I tried. And even Hal Holbrook apologizes to Jesse, 
saying, shit, I thought you were the killer. And the Jesse character, no, it's okay. I understand you guys are getting messed with. It's not, and he, that's when he says, it's my brother, it's not me. You need to get out of here. Um, you know, and, and, and that's an interesting twist. That, that almost kind of harkens up a little bit a few years later to Hell Night, where you get the two people you thought might have been one. You know, a moment, which is kind of an interesting thing, too. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of neat. And then Mitzi shows up, right? Yeah. <laughs> he reappears. <laughs> just like he did uh, on the, the the rocky landscape. He just appears out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And he's being tortured by uh, our boy, our boy Crowley. Yeah. Yep. So he has got him hanging up, and he's basically got him outside of their cabin. So basically, it, it seems as if... The killer uh, is saying, I have the Mitzi character. I want my brother. Right. And so I've always <laughs> thought this now. Now, okay, so I guess we can kind of go through. But so anyway, so basically, you know, he, uh, unless you don't want to spoil the end end. But we're pretty much at the end. You know, we're that, yeah, that I mean, like, definitely the killer. Yes. And Mitzi is... Well, as the people that haven't, haven't seen this movie, it's, it's been around almost as long as I have. I mean, it's 40-some-odd years old. If, if right. I haven't seen it, we're going to ruin the ending. I mean, Harry's wounded. He severed his artery in his leg when he, when he stabbed his machete or whatever that knife was that he used to, to stab through the wall. Well, the killer, yeah, the killer comes back around and knows that Hal Holbrook's in there and, like, just basically, yeah, he gets a knife through the door, does something, and, and wounds Holbrook. And then Holbrook gets himself kind of barricaded back in the cabin. That's when you know Mitzi's outside. So it's basically he wants a trade. Let my brother out. And here's Mitzi. You know, that's what it seems like. <laughs> but Jesse has already uh, succumbed to the, the axe wound that he took to the chest. Yeah. Right. Hal Holbrook is just trying to buy time long enough to cauterize the, the wound in his leg, which is, again, horrible to, 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 to watch. It's, so some very real pain going on in this movie, you know, with Martin gets his leg broke when Hal Holbrook, you know, tries to cauterize his wound. It's it's it well, feels very real. It feels very real, realistic to me. Right. Well, not only that, but Mitzi's screaming, screaming for Hal Holbrook to help. Hal Holbrook can't help him. He's he's bleeding out. He got an artery cut. So he's trying to fix himself because he knows I can't I can't save him unless I save myself first, which is another right. doctor thing. It's another moment where it's 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 a, to me. I mentioned earlier and it seems odd that I mentioned Saw. But what isn't this about Saw? It's like make a choice. Carterize yeah. yourself or save Mitzi. Make a choice. Either kill the dude or let him there. Make a choice. The choice is yours. I mean, it really does remind me of that. It's in a totally yeah. different, totally different environment. But the idea to me is there decades before we see this stuff. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. really cool. Totally. And when you listen to Lawrence Dane, his pain and him. Oh, when, when he finally starts getting set on fire. Which well, I thought he was it was yelling at Hal Holbrook saying, just help me. Just help. You know, like this. Why won't you help me? You know, he doesn't know what Hal Holbrook's really going through. You know, he's, Hal Holbrook's trying to tell him. It's just, it's, it's a hard, hard to watch scene. Very realistic. Well, he says straight up, uh, Mitzi does. He's like, you're murdering me by not helping me. He's like, you right. know that. He's like, it's on your conscience. You're murdering me. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's, I think, part of the message of this film, too. You know, is that that's what it's trying to, it's trying to accomplish. My thing is... And so that's pretty much the move, like right there. But my thing yeah. is, uh, 
that everything about this movie and how I feel about it changed in the last week. And I always liked this movie a whole lot, but I have a brand new respect for it now. And I'll tell you why. It was made in 1976. Released in 77 in Canada, 78 in the States. It was made in 1976. Okay. How many movies with all of these very familiar horror tropes now, like the mountain, the crazy mountain man killer guy and all that stuff. I mean, in, in the cabin with yes. dead animals hanging up and stuff. I mean, the only movie that I can think of that this is really deriving anything from is Deliverance. And then it feels like they wanted to get unique with it. And for its time, they did. And I did not know. I, I always thought this movie came out like 81 or something. That was my mistake. Whatever I thought this movie was made, I thought it was made as an answer to almost everything that I see in it. Now I know, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. This was actually them trying to do something different. And what an amazing idea, given it had not been really done before. Yeah, uh, it's, it, I mean, it, it was way ahead of its time. I know that's yes. a bare bones way of putting it, but it was just so ahead of its time. With this movie, again, it's I have such a, I don't know, blown away by the, by the, how it's more of a seminal film and when I thought it was a, was a movie that was being put out during a cycle. And it came out before a cycle, before the slasher cycle, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. I mean, how like can I we said, say... That? I've already said uh, at least twice, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself for not giving it another chance over the years because I feel like I've been missing out. Like, it's not a movie that I could watch all the time. It's not a movie that I could watch even quite often because it's a hard, it's a hard watch. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's just so fucking good. Like, I felt like I fell asleep on this movie for 30 years. Uh, I think that maybe it is more of an adult film. And I don't mean adult in that it's got risque things in it. It's just the more adult you get, especially an adult man, these guys are kind of affluent adult middle-aged white males. And, you know, I mean, that's, I can kind of identify with that a little bit. At the same time, I think I'm old enough to understand also just their regular, like who they are, what their problems are. I get it now. Right. Like, and I, I didn't, I didn't get that understand when I was a kid. it. Yeah. When I was like 15 or whatever, how old I was when I watched this, because I really don't remember, but I'm guessing I was roundabout 15. No wonder I, I didn't like it. And no wonder I didn't understand it, because this stuff mm -hmm. was way over my 15 year old mind. Well, and let's 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 be honest here too. I mean, like I said, it's not a perfect film, and one of the major flaws, I'm pretty sure the end was lit with a nightlight. Oh yeah, so dark. And even the Blu-ray, there's some shots that are just black. You hear things, and you know you're supposed to be able to see something, especially on a cabin and everything. It's like, dude, come on, just a little more light, man. I don't get need a, a lot. Get just a flickering a candle, something. Yeah, yeah, and and if this movie least, ever got like. A proper restoration, maybe yeah, they we would see more some of that. I will yeah. say one thing: at least they lit the shot well enough where you could see Crowley, uh, the Matthew Crowley character's face. Yes, because that's a big reveal. Right, when you see just how disfigured he is, and just how you know how out of out of his mind he really is, and that that's an, an integral moment there for especially for Hal Holbrook and us as the audience. 
So right. he sees it and he realizes, oh, so this is what we've been, this is what's been stalking us. This is what's been the cause of all this. Well, and he realized the extent of his wounds, the extent of what the doctors did to him. Yeah. They, Clearly, yeah, he wasn't born that way. That was, um, uh, that was a medical malpractice, basically, on his head and his face, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's very, yeah, so that is good. But and that so, last shot, that last shot, though, of him getting through the wilderness, he's got the, the bearskin <laughs> rug or something like that that's just <laughs> draped around him. And he's yeah, all he's wounded got the pelts. up. He has a the pelts. pelts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. he just sits in the, he finally finds as close as he's going to get to civilization, he finds a road and he just sits in the middle of the road as the camera pans back mm-hmm. for the end credits. And it's like, I'm just going to sit here and wait for the next car that comes by. Right. Right. Well, and it makes you wonder if a car ever comes by in enough time to, to help him out. You know, it, it does leave that kind of open-ended. Right. And once again, you know, I think that there's, I, I think this movie is, I, I, it could be more because th- this could be hitting me because maybe it, it's Canadian and maybe that the I'm not picking up on things that I would maybe pick up on had it been on culture. I'm only guessing at that. I don't think so. I'm not saying that the Canadians are like Martians. I don't mean that. I think the subtle differences in our cultures can be disjarring sometimes because I don't really perceive our countries. I, our countries are different, but I don't really perceive our populace as being that different culturally but right, i think that right. there's enough nuances that sometimes you watch a movie like this where it's some pretty intense deep drama going on and there's some things that don't seem right they seem different you know about it but like i still think that when they find the i think it's the deer head yeah, uh, Mitzi the, the, mentions uh, the Mitzi mentions so quickly uh, that I picked up on this time is like, what about the snake? How many people know about that symbol? He's talking about that, you know, that the doctor, you know, the the symbol of the doctor with the snake coiled yeah, around. Yeah, the snake you know coiled about? around the. De- yeah, 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 yeah. I'm 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 not speaking correct. I'm not using the right nomenclature, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like their coat of arms. You know, their their seal. You know, for the medical, for for being a doctor, is that serpent going across, and that is on display there, but you barely see it, and you barely hear Mitzi mention it. I would have made sure you knew that, right? Yeah, I would have hammered that one home myself. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of things I think I would have hammered home. Like, let me see what's in that scrapbook. I know it's a bit of a stretch, but let me see what's in it. You you showed a little bit. Well, at least flip through a couple pages and let me let me read something. Not like, what was that? What was that? Oh, it's gone. And that's, yep, I mean, you, you know. Blink and you miss it so, so quick. Right. And I guess maybe the point of the, maybe the point of the film was to be a little vague. But why? <laughs> you know, I hate to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Why? You know, like, come on, man. <laughs> you know, like, let me in on some, I, I just want this grueling hour and a half with these people and lost them all. Just let me at least see who these dudes are. What's going on here? Why are there brothers out there? Yeah, like, how did they end up there? Like, give us a little something, even if it's just a a, a taste. <laughs> well, in my, my imagination says if you would actually pull a couple pages of those news clippings, maybe you would figure out that their brothers are out there hiding from the law. 
that's why they're so far out there because the one brother realized his one brother was a murderer who had lost his mind because of his condition. Who knows? But yeah, who knows? Maybe that was something that was in there that was just so underlit uh, and so quick that you know it was there for us to see, but we just couldn't see it. And that's possible too. I, I do know that the shots that I saw of the of the newspaper clippings were lit. He, he had the lantern right there, but it was just too quick. I mean, and he had things laying over. So you could see like part of the headlines. So you could see like murder, massacre, but you couldn't really see what else was there. So it's a little frustrating. You know, it, it is a little frustrating. But at least they gave you some kind of answer. The original idea, the original idea for the film was not to reveal the killer at all. I'd be, I mean, I'd be, oh, I'd, I'd be, be finding somebody to sue. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, listen, I want my twenty nine ninety nine back. Oh, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, yeah, and, and, well, and I mentioned uh, Town of the Dreaded Sundown. Well, that's frustrating as shit <laughs> when you watch it. At least you can go back and say, well, that's what happened in real life. Because that yeah. movie is based on truth, and they never did find the killer. So I guess, okay, fine. But this movie, it's like, it, it, I'm glad it gave us the answers it did, given the fact it was intended not to give us any. So I'll give it that. But very strange film. Uh, very engrossing film if you allow it to envelop you. And asks a lot of hard questions. I had so much fun watching it, it which, mm -hmm. you know, it's a dark and dreary kind of film, but I had mm -hmm. such a blast watching it. And I have to thank you for suggesting this one. There is a, there is a theme there's a thread going through movies that we've discussed together on podcasts. And it was in this movie. Do you know what it was? It's a little detail that we've picked mm -hmm. up on in other films and we've, we've giggled about it. No, I'm, I'm at a loss, sir. One of the, and I can't in. remember which character it was. One of the characters around the campfire scene was wearing a Mrs. Voorhees sweater. Oh, <laughs> It seems like every time we review a movie, there's somebody wearing that damn sweater. I didn't catch that. I do you remember that? I don't remember what, what movie we were watching last time where it had that sweater. Anyway, it was the same oh. type of sweater. I can't remember what what the hell. Um, well, there. Oh, it was it, night. Wasn't it Nighthawks? Wasn't it Rutger Hauer? Yeah, it was Nighthawks because Rutger Hauer was wearing that in the 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 tram or the trolley scene. Right. That's right. right. You're right. It was Nighthawks. Yeah. So every Damn. time we pick, yeah, every time we oh, that that sweater is 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 appearing. So it must be. I don't know what it is. It's some sort of sign of something. I hope not the apocalypse, <laughs> but it's a sign no, of something. It's a sign to watch yeah. out for campgrounds and and don't fuck around with camp counselors like us. Yeah. Or it's a sign. Maybe I should vary my movie watching a little bit more. <laughs> maybe you have a sweater yeah. fetish, sir. I don't, I don't know. know. Maybe I do. I don't. I don't normally wear them. But if Ed Wood had an argyle, was it argyle sweater or something? If he had or one, angora, angora, angora. That was a, yeah. <laughs> argyle. That's right. That's. A, I have an argyle sweater fetish. So. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I, I did notice that. Yeah. I. Know. I, I, I didn't notice it, but now I'll have to go back and rewatch that scene just. Uh, just to hammer it home. <laughs> yeah, I, I it, was, it was actually the first thing I wrote down. <laughs> so that's was, funny. And that's already into the movie, like 20 minutes. I said, oh, there's a sweater. Yeah, write that down. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So, 
Good right, eye, right. sir. I didn't catch that. I should have. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, you want to get in our, our uh, final thoughts and ratings on this sucker? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you, you know as well as I do, guess go first. Right. Uh, oh, boy, that's a... Um, I'm going to say... I wanna, I'm, I'm going between seven and eight, and I think it's better than a seven. And eight makes me feel, like, pretty solid. But then I think about some of these little mistakes and the fact that you have to be involved in the film. I'm going to be friendly and say eight, but it could be like a 7.75, you know, but I'm going to say eight. Um, I, I think that it, what's frustrating about it drops it a couple. It's The information is there, um, and I found most of it now, but it's taken me a long time to get this movie as straight as I can get it, and it's all there, and I think that, that that's why it drops it, just a couple from like a home run for me, right. and I think that the movie is it's disproportionate um and, but it's a it, it's sort of like a first try at this kind of movie in a way and i don't mean the deliverance part but i mean the the deformed guy in the woods yeah and, it almost seems like an afterthought yes you know and something that was just like you know they they had a, the first cut and they're just like listen we need a little some something, something. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And and as I'm watching this now, and and with the prism of knowing when it was made, filmed, mind you, when it was filmed, I have a whole new respect for it. Thinking that I don't know if it was an afterthought as much as the filmmakers didn't realize how much that little part of that film was going to end up being the basic plot <laughs> of a lot of slashes right. that were about ready to start littering the movie theaters and thank god they did so we have podcasts and now we have things we talk about in conventions and stuff but they did i never it just never caught me that this was before all that and i and i my favorite kind of movie is that kind of movie it's the deformed killer guy out in the woods the slasher guy in the woods i uh the, the friday 13 part we we discussed friday 13 part two on your show before when the first yep, ones yep. I, I consider that if you want to know Give me, give me the stereotype of what you love. There it is. Right, right. Well, it came out in your favorite year. 81. Yep. Yeah, 81. I, I actually thought this one did, too. It wasn't even re-released in 81. It was 83, <laughs> I think, you know, but I still thought it was right around then. And then the years on this are very, you know, but I know it was shot in 76 and released in Canada in 77. So, but hey, uh, yeah, I, I, fantastic. I mean, an eight, um, if you watch this, if you haven't seen it, listen to what we are saying. Sit down and watch it. Watch it. You know, like, don't have it on as a background. Yeah, actually pay attention it. to it. Put your phone yeah, down. Yeah, because you won't like it. I don't think you'll like it if you just watch it. Uh, like, if you just, like, let it kind of play and you're talking to somebody or doing something. Uh, this is much more compelling when you shut up. Just watch it. So that's my advice to anyone trying to watch it. And I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. Um, I'm gonna ma I'm gonna almost match you because you said you can't quite give it a seven and you couldn't quite give it an eight. I'm giving it a seven point five, or you did give it an eight, you know. But uh, uh, I, I I give it a seven point five basically for the same reasons uh, you're giving it uh, an eight because there's some parts you know like that seem shoehorned in. There's some parts that again it's also probably I would probably 
rate this an eight or a little bit higher if I saw a print that was more cleaned up. Something mm-hmm. that was on Blu-ray or even DVD because the print I saw was just not very good. It was mm-hmm. just so dark in some points. It was just like, come on, like mm-hmm. well, let me see something. I, I did watch part of that. I did watch part of the the Prime one again on my iPad, by the way, too. So I was ref- I, like the first half of it. I was kind of doing something else, and I was watching it on my iPad for my second run of watching it to my my refresher run. And I do agree with you that it's a little bit of a of a it's the print's a little frustrating yeah, yeah. sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, no. there, but i just want to let you know i agree with you yeah it's a little rough. but I, I think the movie where strong suits are it is a tremendous character study of mm. these five very different men you don't really get to know you know abel very much you don't really even get to know dj because he's gone for you know three quarters of the movie but at least uh martin you know harry and mitzi you get to know them pretty fucking deep Mm-hmm. And it's a good character character study of three guys that are around the same age. You know, they're all about 40 and they're all doctors, but they're all very different people and have very different approaches and how they handle their per- profession and how they handle life. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to it, it's uh, it's, it's it's like I said, I'm just repeating myself, but it's a great fucking character study. I think that's where strong suit is and the writing. It's just so good. Uh, yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Right. So, oh. but, uh, yes, definitely. So, but it's well, fun talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, it was a good talk. I'm glad, I'm again, I'm glad you suggested this one. I, I'm, you know, I have my little pre predisposed list, but I'm always open to suggestions. I always love for my co-host and my guest host to, to suggest things that might not, you know, you know, be on my right radar, you know, right, so to right. speak. So yeah, I appreciate this one. I I'm, I'm gonna have to fucking end up buying a copy of it at some point so I can hopefully see see some of the things I was missing. <laughs> well, the Blu-ray that came out, I think Code Red put it out. Let me see what it says here. Uh, Scorpion, uh, they're all kind of affiliated with each other, but yeah. So Scorpion put this out, I believe, a couple years ago, and it does have a nice interview with Lawrence Dane. I think the guy that played Martin in it. So that's it, it. So it's and that's when you kind of. You hear Lawrence is pretty good because he was a producer and you kind of get to know that, you know, again, as you're watching the him speak. But uh, I just kind of liked how he was kind of he's pretty candid about yeah. everything, you know, about the movie and stuff. So about how it came together and how it's hard to make. And you can kind of see it just watching it, you know, like, you, you, you know, it's like, yeah, well, you it was really hard was to walk through easy, the river. Not an really? easy movie was to fucking make. <laughs> right. Right. So but um Yeah. No, but again, cool, cool movie, and uh, you know, I I've been doing podcasts for a while too, so sometimes I like to find something a little different to talk about. It's more fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, so excellent. All right. Well, I think that being said, I think we've uh, exhausted every resource we can about old good old rituals here. I want to thank you uh, for once again on my appreciation month for being one of the first people to uh, you know come on and do the show as all you know you're always welcome here well thanks it's an honor i mean i and it's it's again i've said this before being your show it's it's refreshing for me because it's been over a year now it's been we're getting to the point where i have not been on a show where i'm just freewheeling talking about a, a random i quote a random film 
you know, something yeah. that isn't put out by Synapse or something, which I love Synapse. And I love what I'm doing over there, but, but it is nice to kind of break away a little bit and to talk about some of these movies that we didn't release that I do love as well. Yeah, because um, we, we all, hey, I love Synapse and what they, you know, help release too, but I love all, every film, <laughs> you know, every type of film. So, it's, you know. I do too. And I, I, I appreciate the other companies that are, that are working hard too. And everybody can have their opinion on the different releases and what's the better one and what's not. And I mean, to me, I don't really get competitive about as much as it's, it's, it keeps things interesting. It keeps, yeah. and it keeps people working harder to give us better products. So if we all push each other, all the, you know, physical media companies keep pushing each other, to put out bigger products. We're all going to win all of us. Yeah, exactly. All our, uh, all us, uh, physical media collectors that are still around you right. know we're only going right. to win because oh, when they're going to put out better bigger and better products and more extras and more bonus features better prints i, I don't i don't see how any of that's a a bad thing it might be harder on the pocketbook but you know I, i'm willing to dig deep I'm right one, right and i'm willing to double dip every once in a while for a newer better release so i'm not i'm not worried i'm not scared well, I really i really appreciate the work that it was something that i never really on me i appreciate the all the work that goes in tracking down some of these elements to put these things together because it's really hard to find like negatives and things for films that are like 50 years old that no one's cared about it's funny how people say no one's cared about for 20 years the only people who haven't cared about it were the people who could have saved the negative and that's what's right. frustrating for a lot of us and and i think what the real work and the true heroism of this industry and this you know what we do is and and you know that's a that's a little bit of a part that you know Jerry helps with too a little bit that it's that it's sort of on the a lot of phone work we call it footwork foot phone work you know like trying to locate because you can get the, the the dirty secret is you can like acquire a title from someone who owns the license to a title it doesn't mean they even have a VHS copy of the movie it just means you've signed an agreement to release it through your company. Uh, yeah, sure. You can, yeah. Oh, that movie I did 50 years ago. Fuck. I don't know where it is. Yeah. Go ahead. Give me money. Yeah. It was amazing to me that some of these, these, uh, original elements, the film negatives and stuff have just been like, I don't know where they are. Like, how can you not know where they are? Right. That's just sacrilege to me. But, you know, I understand it. You know, the people have it and they, you know, go on with their lives, but. (laughs) <laughs> well, and the ones who are lost in fires and stuff too and then you have a search for the best source possible like where's the best looking print and a print is not ideal it's got degradation just like when you used to make cassette tape dupes it's tape you know oh, basically yeah. it's analog it's it's you're getting so once you digitize it then you're not going to lose any of you know you're not going to get a hiss you're not going to get that but you got to get something to do it first you got to start somewhere once they find elements, that's when everything starts rolling. You know, so I appreciate everyone's work, including my guys at Synapse, but everybody does this. Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Arrow, and I appreciate all of them. I love it. As a fan, we owe them all a great, a huge debt of gratitude. We don't even realize it. It's not easy to find this stuff. They're finding this stuff in, like, old ladies, like, addicts and stuff. <laughs> I'm serious. They are. I mean, so it's like it's crazy when you think. I, I know it's true. I've heard that on on several uh, uh, commentary tracks. I'm like, yeah, this was found in my grandmother's, you know, attic or basement. It's just like, really? Right. That's right. where it was. <laughs> well, Cameron, that you were just on the popcorn episode on the Synapse one, and Jerry tells a story about how he found the guy who owned popcorn. 
he couldn't get the guy's attention because the guy was a mega millionaire who built, who was an international giant bridge builder. This movie was a fart in the galactic wind to him. He, there was no amount of money that was going to make him side eye and go, yeah, let's do that. He's making millions and millions of dollars. What's he going to do with this little popcorn movie? So Jerry finally bugged the guy enough. So he said, fine, license the movie. But he told him, but you're taking it. Everything. All, everything I got, all the elements, all the materials, all the, everything I've got, you're taking it. It's yours. Get it out of my hair. I don't want you bothering me anymore. You know, I mean, it was like one of those things. <laughs> well, but that's a good thing because now people who know what the hell they're doing have it. Exactly. It's now, safe now. Now, now we, have a, we have a new job for Jerry and Don, all right? I want you to put them on something for me. Okay. A, a, a good print of rituals. Because if anybody can do it. Because <laughs> if anybody can, can anybody given the right materials can get it done and done right, they can do it. I I would I would agree, and I I hope that knowing enough of what I know now, how these companies operate, you know, we don't know what's being worked on right now. I certainly hope this is one of them being worked on, whether it's Scorpion or who had this release or anyone else. I hope they're working on it, and I hope they're paying close attention to it. Uh, and that's the key. You can't let your guard down. That's how we get recalled discs. You know, really QC the thing, really look at it and give it to us. We'll buy it. Whoever it is, we'll buy it. You know, just do a good job. I hope so. I have a lot of faith. A lot of these titles we're looking for, knowing what I know, I have a lot of faith they're being worked on. So right, right. That's, yeah. that's, you know, I don't know anything, but that's my, from what, from what I know, from the way things work. It does, it does give me a lot of ease that I didn't have before as a collector that eh, this, this stuff's being worked on. They know it's being, the, the companies know what people want, what they're looking for, because they're fans too. Maybe we'll get they're a 50-year anniversary for this at some point. That's perfect. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, that awesome. would be great. So anyway, so well, once well, again, there's another end of the show. <laughs> sorry. Two all right. Yeah, sorry. All right, folks. No, that's all right. We we tend to we tend to to babble on a little bit from time to time, from time to time, all the time. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, folks, uh, I want to thank you as much as I want to thank Timo here for joining us for this little festivity in the first chapter of our single serving slasher uh, exploration, uh, our single serving slasher exploration. So that for a new appreciation month, we're off to one hell of a start and we have been reviewing and dissecting rituals, uh, depending on which way you look at it, we'll just say rituals from 1977. Thanks for listening, folks. Where are you going? To help him look for the boots. Take the bottle away from him while you're at yeah, it. Shut hey, everybody's boots are gone. Sure, they're gone. I'm telling you, DJ, I'm not kidding you. They're not here. Well, where'd we leave them? Where'd we leave them? I don't know. They're not here now. Well, they must be here somewhere. No, I've looked everywhere. They're not here. Well, I, I looked in the tents. I checked the woods. They're not here. Is anything else gone? I don't think so. It's just the boots. Have you found them yet? No. Somebody has stolen a goddamn...